Amen. Uh, I should have also, in the sort of housekeeping message, uh, if you donated to this church, tax-deductible donations, uh, year-end, like last year, those uh, forms are completed. Uh, Our treasurer has completed those, and those are out front in the entryway. Um, A number of the others have already been mailed out, so if it's not out there and you don't get in the mail, let me know, and we'll uh, make sure that you're squared away right away. First Peter chapter 3 is uh, where we are this evening. Um, I would love it if someone else uh, was to teach this study tonight because First Peter chapter 3 uh, speaks to wives and about their submission. And, uh, you know, I'd rather not uh, be the man that had to speak on this subject. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about why why that is the case, and uh, what the Lord has to say here. So, um, uh, beginning uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise, uh, be submissive to your own husbands. So, uh, the Lord is going to have a number of things to say here, but I I just want to caution us. As we approach this, um, you know, ladies uh, in receiving this message uh, directly applicable uh, to yourselves, men in hearing this message and thinking about those that are receiving it, uh, there's a huge danger in uh, taking the sinfulness of our culture and letting it warp what we hear. Uh, in in all regards. Uh, The Lord uh, is giving instructions here to believers. So so he's specifically saying to those who have submitted themselves to him, very specific messages. Uh, Ladies, uh, if this message is difficult uh, for you, uh, please bear in mind that next week uh, and following, we're going to beat the stuffing out of the men uh, in those studies, okay? So so there are specific instructions. And, and what this comes down to, you guys, is that uh, the human race, Adam and Eve, as uh, we, we use the term federal head, you know, those that are the origin and the beginning, the source of humanity, they blew it. And as a result, there is a cascading domino snowball effect that has occurred to humanity all throughout time. And we're dealing with all of the repercussions in our culture from it. What's most significant in our culture today is since the 50s, we've listened to some of the worst counsel possible. Uh, those influence in our culture uh, that, that have come through our universities, come through psychology, come through sociology, um, you know, add to that the greatest influences, whether people want to admit it or not, in our culture of the arts, okay? Entertainment, performance, music, you know, they are people who have experienced broken homes and devastated lives, and they are filled 
with bitterness and contempt and rebellion, and they're, they're preaching a continuous message to our culture that comes to us, and this will sound strange, but in a very beautiful and attractive way. So then we want to listen to it, you know, Pied Piper, you know, gather the message up, follow the leading, and end up in places ensnared and enslaved that you never intended along the way. So as we begin, just to draw our attention back, this is written to believers. This, this is Peter addressing Christian families. And I do say families because we're, we're probably only going to get through this first portion in our discussion tonight, but we, we break this down as we go through each segment of the family. And, and you know, think about what we've already been through, right? We, we've discussed government. We've discussed authority. We've discussed employment, right? So, so Peter is systematically going through and addressing the entirety of the culture. And where are we now? We're at the foundation, okay? We're, we're, we're at the building blocks of all those things. You don't have family. Oh, well, you don't have government, right? People are standing around now going, what in the world is going on to our culture? James Dobson <clears throat> warned us for decades, right? Focus on the family, the importance of that central element, the home. And if you deteriorate that and erode that, then ultimately this is what you end up with in a culture, is, is exactly what you see going on all around us. So uh, as we address this, it's coming from the place of Christian wives and Christian husbands and what is the command, what is the obedience, what is the role. So, again, wives, <clears throat> likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Ladies, and some men don't like this, notice it doesn't say men. It does not say women submit to men. Doesn't say that. Doesn't mean that. It's not implied. It says women be submissive to your own your own husbands. Ah, I've witnessed abuses in the church where men have an attitude as though women are somehow inferior. And they point to the scripture and say, Oh, right here it says, you know, that wives are the weaker vessel. Oh, it certainly does say that. Uh, but it's specifically talking about more fragile. And it's specifically talking about more delicate and more valuable. Okay? Women are weaker in the sense, right, that that is designed for a particular delicate use. Our culture has so abused femininity that now there's a backlash in the opposite direction where women are trying to take on the role and the behavior of men. And it's impossible. It's impossible. And we'll discuss that. By now, if it wasn't clear, you've got to recognize that there's a war, particularly on masculinity, but it is upon gender altogether, right? Well, what does the scripture tell us? What does Genesis tell us? What does Jesus tell us 
in the New Testament, right? In the beginning, he created them male and female. God created them male and female. Okay, this whole idea of oh, you know, I, I, I'm you know a man that was born in a woman's body, or I'm a woman that was born in a man's body, is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Uh, the the thought process and the emotion, right, that is male is specifically supposed to be very different than the female. It's supposed to be, right, because these things work together. When they work properly, they work together. If, if we take the world's approach to things, of course it's going to be a mangled mess. The world has no wisdom to offer us. The war is on so strongly that now Canada, just two weeks ago, passed a law, made the decision that to declare male and female as gender is against the law. That it's, it's mythology and that it is forbidden. And so now they have already immediately, they've targeted pastors and they've begun to arrest them. Pastors are being arrested for merely reading the word of God. Just reading the word of God. You know, to say what the scripture says is to be an enemy of the state. Listen, uh, we're not far from that. I mean, you've got to understand where our culture is. And it is, again, our responsibility to preserve our culture. Uh, to be the salt and light of the world to oppose this. It's not a mild conflict. Uh, the war is tremendous, and we need to be at work within it. So staying to subject here, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Not men, not, 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 not even pastors, not, not, not fiancés, right? The only place that submission comes into play is within the marital role. And that isn't men dominate women so that they're crushed and have to obey. Doesn't say that. It's not implied. It isn't what the Lord is suggesting in any way. It's a matter of uh, men are designed by God to be protectors and providers. Uh, that's why we see things in a more, uh, you know, uh, black and white sense. Uh, it's why we see things with a singularity sometimes. You know, it's not that we don't have emotions, right? It's just that they are used differently by us. Chips are down. Uh, emotions aren't going to enter into it when I need to take care of my family. You know, crush the emotions and get up, even though you've had two hours of sleep, and get your clothes on and go to work, right? It's time to do what's needed to be done. Protect family. When the threat is in place, you know, Bust whatever needs to be broken and pick up the pieces later. I mean, you're there to protect. You're there to provide. This is, this is the masculine design. And listen, the emotional confusion it creates in a man when he tries to adopt the feminine thought process. you got to be attentive, and we're going to talk about this. But when a man tries to, right, oh, I need to get in touch with my feminine side. Well, look, I, I got in touch with my feminine side, and I married her, you know, and I rely upon her. 
And it's good that she's there, right? She protects me from a bunch of stuff. And she protects you from a bunch of me. You know what I'm saying? There needs to be that, right? God's in the process of creating and he finishes and says, oh, and it's good. And he finishes and says, oh, it's good. And he finishes man and goes, that's ah, not good. It's not good that he's alone. So he creates the woman from him. From him. You know, we hear that uh, he took him, took her from his side. Uh, there's good reason to think that what the scripture is saying is that it, the Lord took a side of Adam and created woman. Uh, so uh, this this culture we live in is deranged, insane. And I do mean that literally. Uh, you know, for more than a hundred years, those that have dealt with the emotional health of the human mind have said that when an individual rebels against their created gender design, that it is a mental illness, body dysphoria, right? I say to you right now, uh, strange as it is, there are people within our culture that have body dysphoria in regard to their limbs. They believe in their heart and in their mind that their life would be improved if they had a limb removed. You know, their left arm is just somehow making them less of a person. And if they could have it, right? We should, uh, like a bunch of you, whether you recognize it, you're shaking your head like right, right now. Like, oh, that poor person. Like, that is really messed up. Okay. And they literally, if I just had my leg from the knee down amputated, then I'd be a, a better person. They, they have body dysphoria. You know, you can sit around and imagine all day. If you're a psychologist, you can sit and analyze all day about why would a person think like this? Okay, and you may discover something, right? Something probably tragic in their past that damaged their mind, damaged their thinking process somehow, and they've got it in their head. They've got body dysphoria. A body dysphoria that you're more familiar with, right, is anorexia, right? Usually a young woman is unbelievably thin, right? 90, 80, 70 pounds, She's life-threateningly ill. She looks in the mirror and sees a fat person and thinks, I need to lose. I should have surgery. Are you kidding? Right? Her organs are failing from weight loss. And yet she's convinced that she needs to lose more weight. The organization that first did sex change operations was Johns Hopkins. Okay? They were the first. Within a year... They began a study because more than 50% of their sex change patients were committing suicide. And, and, and the whole point of doing the operation, right, was they were saying, I'm suicidal. And if I don't get this operation, I'm going to kill myself. Get the operation, more than 50% of their patients are killing themselves after the operation. 
So they begin to examine, like, what is going on? And quickly, their psychological teams are stepping forward and saying, well, you're doing operations on a person that has a mental illness about their body. This is body dysphoria. John Hopkins, less than a year later, concluded we will not do any more of these procedures. They were the pioneers in the procedure, but when they recognized the damage that they were doing, they were the first to also abandon the procedure, and no one followed them. Uh, think about how heartless it is. Uh, some of the statistics I've read, you guys, say that they're almost at 60%. 60% of the people who have sex change operations kill themselves within the first year. Right? If we were doing that in any other area of medicine, people would be held liable. And I, I suggest and encourage people, you should be. If you're their relative, if you're someone, this is a known fact of the medical community. They understand what they're doing to the human frame and they continue on. What's that all about? Money, isn't it? Greed. And there's an agenda, right? You can't cave into the LBGTQ community because after all, they'll just land on you with boots and stomp all over you and there's, you know, who cares? Uh, do, do we, especially as the church, function in truth? You want to talk about myth? Right? How about we examine some facts? I'll follow the science. How much do we hear that lately? You hear that from all the people that aren't following the science. Uh, so here, uh, this encouragement that is given, uh, the, the rebellion to this comes from an incredibly ungodly world that hates gender because it was designed by God. The root of that, you guys, is demonic. It's demonic to destroy God's creation, right? The origin of the human race was family. God wanted husband and wife. God had wanted godly offspring. In fact, the prophets uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord said that in the believers, it's the obligation of the believers, if possible, to offer him godly offspring. You're a Christian. The other person's a Christian. You have children. Raise them in the faith and produce fruit for the Lord. Important. So, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. That's fear of the Lord. Don't misappropriate that anywhere else when they see your uh, you know, chase conduct accompanied with fear of the Lord. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, also adorned themselves, meaning in this way, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Notice the small L there, ladies, okay? Uh, we would say quickly before we move on and then come back, uh, more in the sense of sir, so that it's respect, and we'll talk about this. 
whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So a uh, big bunch of information, and we'll go back and we'll work down through this. Okay, So this is a, a, an outline given to us from the Lord about what it means to be a godly woman inside a relationship. So this first onset right, uh, of submitting to the husband's uh, that even if they do not obey the word, uh, and that's you know your testimony and speech to them, uh, also God's word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now uh, it's it's important to recognize that what the Lord is saying to women is that if you have a husband who isn't submitted to the Lord, and let's be frank, that's every man on planet Earth, okay? We all struggle to submit to the Lord, every single one, the best of us, right? Um, uh, Ruth, uh, Graham, Bell, uh, uh, um, Billy's wife, uh, was asked about marriage and the challenges of marriage, and she said the most difficult part of marriage is it's so constant. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. She said that of Billy Graham. Okay? Uh, Billy was human. Ruth, human. Everyone of us, human. You know, it has been said that, you know, this whole thing people talk about, oh, mental abuse, oh, verbal abuse, oh, you know, it's not physical. Right. Well, look, if you're living with another sinner, uh, you're suffering abuse. Uh, there you have it. You know, mental abuse, physical abuse, uh, you know, so somehow they're a sinner. Uh, what are you expecting? Right. What are you expecting? Jesus Christ? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If Jesus was our spouse. Perfection, selflessness, servitude, constantly, never failing. Oh, that would be wonderful. Instead, my wife has me. Yeah. Flawed, dramatic failures. You know, the Lord. What, what does it say? How many times have you guys heard me say? Uh, all it takes to make a beautiful marriage is grace. That's it. That's it. Marriage counseling. If you need marriage counseling, call me. We'll sign you up, you know, I can tell you right now, let the cat out of the bag. The answer is going to be grace. That's how you live with another human being. Right? That doesn't mean you let them tread all over you. Right? There needs to be accountability. There needs to be godly conduct in the home and within marriage. There needs, there must be within the Christian home. There must be, there should be in all homes, but, but especially those who have access to not only the word of God, but his Holy Spirit, right? If, if we're not going to try to live this way and follow the Lord, then we're rebelling against him. That, that is what's going on in our life. So here, uh, this, this encouragement given to wives, given to women, you know, obeying them, you know, that even if they don't obey the word, you know, th this isn't... Uh, you know, if they're abusing you, obey them, right? This is the sense that 
if you have someone you know, as a spouse who isn't obedient to God's word, and again, I say that's, that's everybody, uh, to some degree, others dramatically, you know, some mildly, how are you going to win them over? You're going to do it through your proper conduct. Okay, how many times has it worked for you when you have failed miserably that somebody rubs your nose in it and you learn the lesson so well and begin to perform correctly? Probably zero, I would imagine. Probably zero times where you've been a screw-up on the job, in relationships, wherever in life, and somebody just drags you across the burning coals about it, you know, embarrasses you and makes you eat your own words. Rarely does that cause us to say, wow, I really need to get my act together. Uh, you know, I, I've listened to uh, situations where, you know, wives are, you know, writing verses that he needs to hear you know miserable failure so husbands love your wives as christ loved the church put it in his sandwich you know send it to work with him you know find that on a really big plaque somewhere you know put it in his gun cabinet screw it to the back of the gun you know what i'm saying Just so that you know when he goes to do the thing he enjoys there it is in his face uh, rarely, rarely, you know, I would say never, but, well, I suppose it might work for somebody, but usually, what does that cause? That causes the flesh to, to well up, doesn't it? Usually. Really? Fighting words? You want to go? Okay, I'll find a plaque for you. You know what I'm saying? And off we go. That's generally how it goes. Uh, you know, we, we retaliate. Uh, that never produces what the Lord wants. Here you have it from the Holy Spirit given to us very directly that the method is humility. You know, he's not obeying the word. You obey the word. And you don't have to go into obeying the word by just sort of murmuring over your shoulder. You know, I don't really want to, but what I'm going to do right here is obey the word, even though other people around here don't, you know. Does this, right? Does this ever produce? I, I'm not speaking of my wife. I'm not speaking about myself with her. I'm just saying, you know, the, the tendency is we, we re reduce ourselves to some immature grade school level conduct, expecting it to somehow accomplish something it never has in human history. Here, here is Peter telling us, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, the method is humility. You you do it right. They can't do it right. You do it right. And, and, and let them deal with God on the issue. Uh, you know, you don't, don't keep tally, you know. I haven't said anything for a week and a half, but I just wanted to give you this, you know, score sheet that I've been keeping of the number of times where I have obeyed God and you have not. So you can just pray about that, you know. Consider. Right, the things that we do. So, so this encouragement that he's giving, and he gets a little deeper in it. You know, the, the conduct, the con, just obey, just do. You obey the Lord. 
He's going to be a screw-up. Let him be a screw-up. Right? Here, here's the deal, right? i got three daughters. And with that, I have three sons-in-law. I'm very conscious of the conduct of my sons-in-law and how it affects my daughters. You have a perfect heavenly father. And your heavenly father knows perfectly well how his son is treating his daughter. If, if you simply put your head down without fear, right, of the man, fearing God and saying, no, I am following the Lord with my life. My temptation here is, right, I got this burning sensation in my mind and in my heart, and you are dumping gasoline on me, buddy. I'd like to just flare off in a way that you wouldn't even be able to contain right now. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the water of his word and his Holy Spirit extinguish this fleshly rage in my heart. And I'm going to peaceably, I'm going to obey my heavenly father. And you're going to have to deal with your heavenly father. Now, book of Jude as Jude is talking about the false teachers and the different disrespects that false teachers have for spiritual entities like angels, he points out that Michael the archangel, in battling with the devil himself, Lucifer, did not even bring a reviling accusation against Lucifer, but said instead to him, the Lord will rebuke you. God, if you truly trust God, right? If you truly fear God, respect God, reverence God, then it becomes down to practical application of, do you believe God can speak to your husband, to your spouse? Do you believe that he is? Right? Because God is a gentleman also. And he'll just say, oh, you're going to handle it? Well, go ahead. Right, because, because he's not going to let somebody else take his glory, right? Maybe he was convicting your spouse, spouse with his Holy Spirit, and then you stepped in, and forgive me for putting it this way, right, because he says, you know, watching your mouth, you know, without a word. You stepped in and ran your mouth. So now, if your spouse's heart changed, you're going to be left thinking, that's because I ran my mouth. God's not going to be involved in that process if we'll back away and we'll let God deal with the person that needs to be dealt with. Then God will. He will. That takes time. It takes patience. It takes trust. The fear spoken of right here, right? When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. As I said, fear of the Lord. You're out of bounds, buddy. Right? Wives, you got a husband who's being sinful. You're out of bounds. You fear God? You just let him go out of bounds. You stand in bounds and be polite and accommodating and say, just you're on your own. You're out there and you're going to have to contend with your heavenly father, my heavenly father. Let the Lord deal with them. Boy, have we not learned? Have we not learned? That when the Lord corrects someone, it's so much more effective, isn't it, than when we do? When we've tried to argue somebody into the kingdom, argue somebody into submission, 
if we'll leave it alone and, right, I'm not talking about like clamming up and shutting down and just doing nothing, right? Passive aggression. Do we all know what that's about, right? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to stew over here in this flaming heap of emotions. That'll serve you right. That doesn't sound like chaste conduct, does it? Right? If we'll truly let God bring peace to our hearts and calm us so, so that people can see, no, 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 I still love you. I get it. I, why, why do I love you and why do I get it? Because really you're not misbehaving any worse than I do at times. Right? If we're honest, ladies, is that not right? Do you not cross the line? Do you not step out of bounds? You want to see that man repent. You want to see him walk in fellowship with Christ. You want to see him obedient to the word, right? The same as he wants to see all those same things in your life. Uh, you know, right. Okay, so the knee-jerk reaction, the pendulum swing, sure. Our culture's gone stark raving mad, and men have been unthinkably abusive. Maybe even the men in your lives. Right? Sure. But have any of our attempts from a human perspective produced godliness? No, they haven't. Here is God's plan right here. So again, moving forward, the chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Uh, Peter is saying this. Two uh, believers who are surrounded by these Roman Greek cultures and influences where women went through great processes of gilding their hair, literally gold, <laughs> stacking it up one, two feet tall, right? You know, they, they would put braces inside the structure and then sleep sitting up, Right? Propping themselves into chair. Why? Because you invested all this money into looking, you know, just astonishingly beautiful, and you don't want to lay down and roll over and mess that all up. Just in tremendous lengths, right? What is that old statement? Beauty is skin deep, ugliness goes all the way to the bone, right? That's what's being said here. Merely outward. You know, the, the Lord isn't saying anything against cosmetology in any way. Not, not even remotely. Right? <clears throat> Women want to do their hair, want to wear makeup, want to wear jewelry. The Lord isn't forbidding that at all. You listen to certain denominations of Christianity, and that's what they teach. Women cannot do their hair. They cannot wear makeup. They cannot wear jewelry. You know, they should wear black clothing and walk around. In fact, you should scowl all the time. I'm not exaggerating. You know, there are various degrees of legalism about that. Don't even think about wearing a pair of pants. Where do you get that, right? It literally is, don't let your beauty be just the outside, right? Surely, man or woman... You've run into somewhere, someone along the line where you thought, well, they're attractive, and then they open their mouth. 
And you're like, oh, my word, please stop. Just, you know, it's just so ugly, so vulgar, so unbearable. This is what Peter is saying, <clears throat> that the beauty can't be just outward. You know, he is putting limitations on, you know, the amount <clears throat> that we go through to beautify ourselves. He, he certainly is encouraging Christians to invest in as much of your internal beauty as you are your external beauty. Uh, but it's, it's not some kind of prohibition on cosmetics. Um, the Lord does allow the old, you know, ministers used to say, look, forgive me, ladies, but you know, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Yeah, I think that's pretty crass, but you know, the scripture is teaching us that, it's okay. It's not a forbidden thing. The scripture isn't somehow restrictive in this regard. It is merely that point of, surely as believers, as daughters of your heavenly father, this can't be the only beauty that you're concentrating yourself on, that you're investing yourself in. It must more, more so be the internal beauty. And, and then he specifically talks about, if that whole thing we're going to get to about Sarah calling him Lord is bugging you, please just wash that away for the moment and, and let's let the scripture define itself as we get there. So here, you know, it needs to be that it isn't just the putting on of the fine apparel. Verse four, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, this quietness and quiet spirit, uh, you know, sometimes, again, men in the church abuse that and say, right, see, women should be silent. So just shut up and, you know, better to be seen and not heard sort of attitude. Uh, that isn't what the Lord is saying in any way. In, in either one of these locations where the Lord is saying in this passage about being quiet and of a quiet spirit, it's it is the way it is in the Greek is that when you're around this person, they should cause a stability and a calm in you. Maybe they're a chatterbox, right? Maybe they're not quiet in that sense at all. But when you get done talking with them, you know, the load is gone. You came into the conversation, you know, sort of agitated or very upset. But when you leave, you're like, man, I'm glad I talked to them. You know, they brought they brought a truth. They brought a peace. They produced in me what needed to happen. So it isn't this sense of like the women should just be in the corners, you know, sort of tucked away, hands folded, always looking toward the ground. <laughs> as some people imply, right? They might be always right up on the front end. Listen, have you not met certain people that do that? You, you meet them and they talk to you and you're just like, oh my goodness, why don't I talk to this person more? They just, you know, there's so much wisdom. There's so much peace. There's so much godliness in their life. I just, I'm, every time I walk away from talking to this person, you know, I'm so blessed by, I'll tell you, I, I brag her up. My wife is one of those people for me. 
she just she lends me so much you know when i listen to her you know, her mentor you know, Jeanette Graves you know hang out with Jeanette i i hope if Jeanette hears about this i hope she's that woman has punched me before okay and and i'll just say i needed it you know what i'm saying i i really did she she has sternly corrected me but at the same time, I walked away from that conversation knowing I needed that correction. You know, she did it in, you know, a frail little uh, sister's way. She gave it everything she had, but I mean, it's just, it, Jeanette, you know, whatever. You know, she's probably hating me for if she ever hears this. I, I, she brings peace to my life. There are a few different people like that. And that's the sense that is here. Gentle. Wait a minute. She smacked you. Quiet. Spirit. Uh, how is that? Because she brought peace to my heart. She brought necessary correction to our circumstances. Uh, there, there are people. Go the other direction, right? People that may have, you know, this stuff, you know, that outwardly looks like they would be this way. Then they start talking to you and in seconds you're like, oh, how do I get out of this conversation? Because they're not. They're agitating and they're stirring things up. They might not even be a chatterbox. They might talk very slow. But they're not lending you with peace. They're not building you up. They're not bringing encouragement. Right? Sometimes you don't even realize it until much later. You leave the conversation with them, and you go without even thinking about it, acting upon their advice. And boy, things turn terrible. And oh, and you finally get to the place where that person doesn't actually help me out. The things they share with me do not produce good things in me. This is instead what the, the scripture is saying. The gentle and quiet spirit is that idea of, is godliness lent to you? Is calm lent to you? Is faith lent to you? Right? Is stability lent to you by this person? Think about the contrast. Uh, I, I, listen, I have I've listened to a lot of teachers, men and women, and you think, oh, women, teachers, yes. I have listened to women's conferences. I have people have come and said, I've been listening to, you know, sister so-and-so. She does this whole, and I, I'll, okay, let me hear what she's got to say. I listen, and I, I'm totally agitated by the time I get done listening. Not because I'm listening to a woman. Why? Because their doctrine's messed up. Because what they're doing and what they're teaching and what they're saying doesn't align with the Word of God nor the Holy Spirit. So this gentle and quiet spirit, right? Whether they're very keyed up person or whether they are very quiet and subdued, what it what it does, what it is, what it produces is calm, stability, gentleness, fulfillment. Uh, that needs to be who women are within the body of Christ, which is very precious in the sight of God. Godly women inside their marriage relationship, having a level head, providing for any who experience them that same stability that comes from the Lord. How valuable is that in our culture, you guys? 
right? Women who found a great peace in their relationship with the Lord and their relationship with their husband and in their relationship with the church. How, how incredibly value, right? Value is often measured by how rare a thing is, right? Think about how rare this is in our culture. I've been around many, many women in church who are bitter and divisive and going around and stirring and feeding and creating bad things, still declaring themselves to be Christians. Needs to be that what comes from a person, particularly a woman, is, is valuable because of what it produces. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Holy women, right? So that's the gal who, when you shut the lights off, she's got a slight glow about her. Floats four or five inches off the ground everywhere she goes. You know, you can hear sort of the classical angelic music playing all the time behind them. Just, you know. No, no, no. Believers, holy women, those who have given themselves to Christ, that are surrendered to the Lord, and you can see it in their life and in their behavior. That's a holy woman. You know, people act like, oh, I, you know, holiness. That's a special class of Christian. No, no, that's that's a Christian. The the one who has surrendered themselves to the Lord. Right, flawed as they are, because they're all flawed. Right, we'll get back to that point. Every single one of us, sinner saved by grace. Right, so holiness. You know, let's make sure we measure that according to the biblical standard. Uh, th that thing I described earlier, the legalism of the holiness movement of no makeup, you know, no cosmetology, you know, n no, you know, drab clothes. You know, there are people who go, oh, see, that's holy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Right? Uh, yeah, I, it's interesting uh, to me um, <clears throat> working with Pure Life Ministries. Uh, you know, the, the people who come from those highly restrictive cultures, you know, where you've you've got you know everybody's dressed in the same clothes, black, and they so restrictive about, you know, what day they go to church and what foods they will will and will not eat. And, they, you know, they have this intense legalism about their lives. Many of the men in those settings are overwhelmed with pornography addiction and end up at Pure Life Ministries. Looking from the outside, you'd think, well, surely they're just so you know, pure. No, guess what? They are as sinful as the next person. And they live inside the same culture that you do with all of the same influences. If all you've got is that outward appearance, the trappings, right? Here, described as the plating of hair and the gold and the adornment. If that's all you've got and you're not submitted to Christ, the holiness is in the relationship with the Lord. Not strictly speaking, the outward appearance. In the past, the holy women of old, they functioned this way. They trusted in God, also adorned themselves, being submissive 
to their own husbands. The, this is how they did it, with quietness, gentleness, and incorruptible beauty. That This is how they adorned themselves. This is how holy women adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Let's talk specifically about that submission for just a moment. We've just got a few minutes left, but this is the idea of headship. Right? We've been through government. We've been through the church. We've been through these different discussions. There needs to be singularity of leadership, right? You know, government, it's allowed to have all the different discussions and, you know, entities and, you know, input. But in the end, someone's got to lead and make a decision. The Lord doesn't want them, right, bosses. He doesn't want bosses to be tyrants and rule over. But there needs to be singularity of leadership. It needs to be a person who is it. So it is with the family, right? You know, there is a nonsense that has gone so far that now in our modern culture, parents are letting children make decisions that don't belong to children. You know, what they should watch, what they should experience, what they should do as a family. What do you think, Johnny? I mean, at what point would you go to the bank and talk to the bank about refinancing your home? And then come back and sit down with your children and say, well, we've talked to the bank. And uh, these are all the details of the financial arrangements. So what do you think we should do, Johnny? Susie, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. I've listened to parents who are like, my kids don't like that, so we don't do that. My children, I have listened to parents say, yes, yes, that church that we're going to is a terrible church, and they teach horrible things, but that's where my kids want to go. Are you kidding? It is crazy. Here, husbands and wives, wives have all of the ability to communicate with their husbands, share Give directions, but in the end, the husband needs to be the person that's making the decision. I had a conversation today with a man who has destroyed his family. Just as I was leaving this location, he stopped me and wanted to talk to me, and we sit down, and he literally got served divorce papers just moments before. And we sit down and talk. And as he's pouring out his heart, a number of things are coming up. And I, I said to him in the midst of it, listen, I need you to stop and hear what I'm saying. Men are the head of their households. Right? They are. There's nothing you can do to change that. Nothing. Oh, well, you don't know my wife. She's extremely dominant and she this and that. That doesn't matter. This is a God-given position, and it can never change. As much as we've talked about gender roles never changing, you can't alter those no matter what. You can't change the role of a man in his household. All right? Well, my wife pushed, and this is where we ended up, and you let her push. Well, I tried to resist, and that just ended up in fighting. Well, that's because you let it end up in fighting. The illustration if you're sitting at the railroad track intersection and you see the trains coming and as it arrives, here comes the caboose. And the caboose has the last car 
goes by and you watch all these train cars go by. And then here comes the engine on the other end. You don't conclude that is going to be the most powerful caboose I have ever seen. Because the power that is moving that whole thing is still the engine, even though it's in the wrong place. It's still the power. Many husbands I have spoken to, the deterioration comes and they say, well, she was just so headstrong. And then you let this happen. Yes, maybe she was. Did you ever find a way to seek the Lord about how to appeal to this person in such a way that they would listen to you? That they would communicate with you? What you're going to see as we examine wives here and then we examine husbands and our next study is, and, and here's the deal, I'll put it together better when we have the next study, is that women need to know, they need to know all the time that they are loved. That's the bottom line. And and you guys, does everybody know what a sieve is? <laughs> right? A strainer, right? Pour the spaghetti in the top, all the water runs out the bottom. That's a sieve of sorts, right? That's 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 what women are. Pour every ounce of love you have and energy into convincing them that you love them and just watch, because a moment later, bone dry. Tell them you love them beyond compare. Do everything you can for them the next morning. Something you don't even understand happens, and they go, I don't know if you even love me. For real? Everything I did? Right? Ladies, whether they'll sit next to you right now and admit it or not, what men need, right? I think all you women, like, you gave me the sort of smirk and the agreement, like I can see on each one of your expressions, that you agree with that concept, okay? You don't have to raise your hand and admit anything. Right now, and you can come to me and correct me afterwards. I'm willing uh, to, to experience whatever insight you may have. Uh, if you understand that, right, that you need to constantly be right, because one moment he's telling you and convincing you by doing the things that show you, and the next moment he does something that causes you to absolutely doubt every single word he's ever said, right? It drains right out of you. You've got to constantly be. The, the, the flow needs to never stop, men. Right? We have that attitude like, what? I topped this thing off. Why? How does it drain out? Right? You, you've heard that old thing, uh, the old farmer driving down the road in the pickup truck. The wife's sitting across from him against the window, silently rumbling along. All at once she turns and says, you know, when we first met one another, when we would ride around in your pickup truck, we sit right next to one another. You remember that? And he just looks over and says, I haven't moved. It's not how it works. They need to constantly be convinced, 
constantly. We're not like that. Right? You tell me you're committed to me? Great. Perfect. Just I don't know. I'll file it away somewhere. Contract's been signed. Done. Because that's how we like to function as men. Reliably. Ah, now we've found the secret of men's greatest needs. To be trusted and believed in. Doubt, disrespect, that'll destroy a man. Destroy a man. As much as hurtful, unloving words can destroy you, ladies, disrespect, turn a man inside out. Tear him apart. Right? I finished a sermon, studied all week, compiled everything I could into, you know, something that I deliver. People come up to me afterwards and be like, man, that really ministered to me. Thanks. So I didn't know that before. And just, wow. Go home. Finally say to the wife, how'd I do? She'd be like, didn't even notice. We're that fragile. We are that fragile. Wish we weren't, right, guys? Wish we weren't. Here's the nature. Here's the nature. This is the core of the issue. Submission, ladies, is saying you believe in the man. That's saying you will follow him. Right? And and here's the thing, right? (laughs) She doesn't get loved. So now she's not going to submit. She doesn't submit, so now you're not going to love. Cyclical destruction. You want it to stop? Do your part. Stop trying to convince the other person to do their part. You're never going to change them. You're never going to change them. God has changed every single human being that has ever submitted to him. No human being has ever changed another human being. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So please, ladies, especially as we've dwelt upon you so adamantly here this evening, understand that what the Lord is delivering here as a message to us is a message of fulfillment. He's saying, you you want the good? If you want the good in your life, in your family, in your relationship, this is your role. This is your part. And as I said, right, the next study, at least the next study, maybe the next two studies, the Holy Spirit's just going to kick the stuffing right out of the men and their responsibilities within the home and leadership and love. Right? It's, it's all simplified down to, right? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wow. Just like move the bar all the way up to perfection, why don't you? And he did. And he didn't flinch. He didn't move it from there. He, he planted it firmly there, and he's left it right there. Now, if you leave and you're thinking, yeah, yeah that's what I'm looking for. 
he ever pulls that off, then I'll submit. Uh, you're sabotaging yourself. You're sabotaging yourself in that process. Let Christ, right? Do you trust the Lord? Because if, if you can't do these things, then that's really what you're saying is I don't trust God. I don't trust God that he's going to speak to this man. I don't trust that even if God speaks to this man that he's going to change. So I got to tinker. I got to get in here. I got to fix. I got to take the controls. I can get my toolbox out. Let Christ do it. Submit your, your heart at his throne and let Christ perform the work. Amen? Amen. Now look, look, I just want to say again, you can't walk out of here thinking that somehow this is a misogynistic message that's looking down at women. Because this is the Lord setting the foundation there with you gals, and then he's going to set right on top of that the responsibility of men. And man, the mark is high. So read ahead at the heart. You know, Be prepared by what the Holy Spirit has to say through his word. And next week we'll examine that and hopefully we might even make it down to verse 12 but i suspect it's going to be a, a, a one verse sermon next week so we'll see uh, how the lord leads us in that so why don't we stand and we'll we'll pray pray for our music leaders you guys all of them uh you know they need health and uh, freedom and opportunity uh to be here with us and uh Lead us and help us to worship the Lord with music. So, uh, yeah. Father, I thank you again for your word, and I pray that you would help each one of us, Lord. I pray that especially the men this evening would go home and over this week review what lies ahead, that each one of us would have your Holy Spirit preparing our hearts for what it is you have to say to us so that we would be submitted to you above all things, and that our hearts, our minds, our lives, our conduct would be aligned with all of those things in your person. That we would be pleasing to you. And that our homes and our families and our, our influence in the world would accomplish your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.